0: Hello again from Paul And from Rachel And here we are again on day five of Here Comes Christmas And what's special about five, Paul? I don't know what is special Well,
1: I was just thinking that we've had listeners in five different continents. We have.
0: It's extraordinary. That's quite incredible. So uh, we get these statistics on the, on the podcast website that tells us where people have been listening, and we're astonished to find that folks have been uh, opening up our podcast in Australia, in Guatemala, Japan, yeah. Japan uh, the United States. So wonderful. Um, Thank you very much. If you're out there and you're listening to us in far-flung corners of the world...
1: You're probably having far more exciting lives than we are.
0: (laughs) So let's just remind folks where we are. We're on a a little village on the edge of the Mendip Hills, overlooking Chew Valley, which is between Bristol – everybody's heard of Bristol, hopefully – and Wells, which is in Somerset, England. So, um, great to know that you're there and, uh, yeah... Let us know what you think of the podcast.
1: Yep, absolutely. And today we're going to be talking about beautiful things and perhaps beautiful things in miniature and particularly snowflakes. I remember the last time we went skiing, which was actually a long time ago because Paul was a bit wimpy on the top
0: of a mountain. (laughs) It was a steep mountain. (laughs) Oh dear, he said he got a poorly thumb.
1: That was so funny.
0: <laughs> I think I'm being maligned here. Uh, OK, folks, just to put the record straight, <laughs> I uh, I fell sharply off my skis, not having been on skis before. I found out they're very slippery things. <laughs> and uh, yes, I sprained my thumb and it was very painful.
1: Yes, Paul. <laughs> anyway, I was following our little son, who was then three at the time, so it was 15 years ago. That is a long time. And... He, he'd he got one of these helmets on that all the children were on the slopes. And I looked down on his helmet and he had this perfect snowflake. And I thought, I've never seen anything as exquisite in my life. And you always think that pictures, even if they're photographs, you think that can't be real. Um, but we were in Cauchefel in France and... Obviously, the the conditions for the weather were just so that it was making these incredible snowflakes, and it was really huge. And I I just thought I wish I could capture that forever, but you can't, can you? And they are you just,
0: ephemeral; they're there um, for a second and they have gone. Yeah, yeah, but very beautiful. We've got a poem about snowflakes. We, we
1: have. Let's hear a lovely little poem called "Snowflakes" by Clive Sansom, and it's read by Trish Murphy.
2: Snowflakes by Clive Sansom. And did you know that every flake of snow that forms so high in the grey winter sky and falls so far is a bright six pointed star? Each crystal grows a flower as perfect as a rose. Lace could never make the patterns of a flake, no brooch, Of figured silver could approach its delicate craftsmanship. And think, each pattern is distinct. Of all the snowflakes floating there, the million million in the air, none is the same. Each star is newly forged, as faces are, shaped to its own design, like yours and mine. And yet, each one melts when its flight is done, Holds frozen loveliness a moment, even less, suspends itself in time and passes like a rhyme.
0: So why are we so fascinated about snowflakes at Christmas?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? The whole aspect of a white Christmas is very romantic,
0: isn't it? It is. And uh, they say that it was actually Charles Dickens that actually gave us this association of of snow and Christmas. Um, Apparently, when Dickens was born, it was one of the coldest periods that we'd had in this country. So the first nine Christmases that uh, he was a child, they were all white, all very, very cold. And that's why he put in his book, uh, A Christmas Carol, that evocative scene of uh, a cold, snowy Christmas. In fact, in 1813, it was so cold that the the River Thames actually froze over and uh, they had uh, bonfires on it and parties and... Somebody even took an elephant out onto the ice, apparently. <laughs> Which is actually really cruel, isn't it? Well, I suppose it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Thames used to freeze over regularly during Tudor periods. You know, it was almost every winter it was frozen over. And yes, they had fairs and all sorts of things. So it wasn't just a, a thin coating of ice. It was jolly thick, wasn't
0: it? So ever since then, we've just kind of longed for this idea of a white mm-hmm. Christmas. Um it, there have actually been, statistically, very, very few white Christmases. That
1: Doesn't it, it depend where we are? I mean, if we're in Avimor in Scotland, then we're likely to have a white Christmas. Absolutely. Whereas down in the South, we're less likely.
0: Apparently, since 1960 in the South, there have been only 10 official white Christmases. And apparently, according to the Met Office anyway... Um, an official white Christmas is when there is a snowflake falls somewhere in England or the United Kingdom on Christmas Day. You could have six feet of snow already on the ground, uh, but if it doesn't actually snow on Christmas Day, they don't count it as a white Christmas. Well, that's ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah, well, mm. that's the way it goes. So uh, we've got a song, White Christmas, by Irvin Berlin. And Irvin thought that this was the best song he had ever written. In fact, He said it was the best song anybody had ever written.
1: It's it's my favourite song of all time. I think it's so beautiful. And it it evokes memories for me. Um, A client of my father's uh, gave him a wind-up Christmas tree with little reindeers around it. (laughs) And I used to spend hours as a child winding this thing up and it played White Christmas back to me and I loved it beyond words.
3: The sun is shining, the grass is green The orange and palm trees sway There's never been such a day In Beverly Hills, L.A. But it's December the 24th be up north I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know where the tree Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова Редактор
0: evocative and emotional song. In fact, uh, they say that it, it really took off because it came out just at the period when America entered the Second World War after Pearl Harbour. And so many uh, soldiers who went abroad uh, hearing this song, they felt very nostalgic for home.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because the verse isn't always played and it starts off saying
0: it starts off saying it's a hot day in Beverly Hills
1: that's right it does and do you remember when we were over in Los Angeles just before christmas i do that yeah and it just seems so very strange to be sitting around a swimming pool knowing it was about the 20th of december And uh, hearing this played
0: But even in hot countries People feel very nostalgic For having Mm. white Christmases In Australia Christmas happens at the hottest time of the year If anyone in Australia is listening now You can let us know what it's like But uh, they go out on the beach Around the barbie And uh, it can be sweltering But nevertheless uh, Apparently um, A lot of Australian folks Just kind of long for the idea Of a white Christmas all the same It's all very
1: romantic
0: (laughs) Okay, so do you know about Santa's sleigh in Australia? I don't know about Santa's sleigh, tell me about it Okay, Santa apparently is not pulled by six reindeer but it's pulled by six big white kangaroos Oh, right, OK You can see Christmas cards with their six white boomers, as they call them Bounding through the clouds. And I the can. Stuff. I can just picture that. Actually, I just love kangaroos. You are, shall we have one? I was going to say you're not <laughs> going to have kangaroos as well. Oh, cranky folks! We've got so many animals in our um, in our house, in our grounds. We've got horses, donkeys, dogs, cats, fish. You name it. Um, we haven't got kangaroos. Though. We, <laughs> do you want to tell people about your dog that you picked up at Waitrose?
1: Oh dear Yes, well we had a whole house full of young people Staying with us for one of our music courses And uh, went to Waitrose and bought tons and tons of stuff And the chap on the checkout said Wow, you must have a big family And I'd taken one of the girls who was staying with us With me And she said, yes, Rachel takes in everyone and everything And he said to me Well, would you like a deaf border collie? And this girl said, yes, of course she would. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we sort of had a giggle about this. And then I was just leaving and he said, well, can I have your telephone number? And stupidly, I gave him my telephone number. I really didn't know who he was at all, but I get on very well with all the checkout people at Waitrose. So I didn't hear anything from him because we were running a course all the next week. And at 20 past nine, the on the next, following Monday morning, the phone rang and it was this chap saying, is it OK if I bring the puppy around in half an hour? I said, oh, I haven't spoken to Paul about it yet.
0: <laughs> Come on, you never speak to me about anything. That's, that isn't the craziest thing that you've done. Do you but, not think so? Well, I remember the day that you walked back with a horse that you had picked up oh, right yeah. around the corner, <laughs> <laughs> which we've still got in the garden, folks. <laughs>
1: She came to us and promptly gave birth.
0: (laughs) She did. It was a buy one, get one free deal.
1: Anyway, we've 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 gone off off as a bit of a tangent. Okay,
0: so the reason that we're talking animals is because we have a friend. Uh, Her name is Lorraine and she is the chair of the uh, Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals in Cheltenham. And uh, we asked Lorraine, why did she get involved with the RSPCA? (laughs)
4: And I think everybody knows what the RSPCA does um, and focuses mainly on the cruelty and neglect side. And obviously I joined, as most people do, because I care very much about animal cruelty, neglect and the welfare of animals. But I think a lot of people don't realise that there's a happy side as well. The end results of animals being rehabilitated and rehomed and seeing them in their forever loving home. That's why I love doing it. We recently, well, a few months ago, had um, an elderly gentleman who unfortunately went into hospital. And This often happens. Animals come into us who haven't suffered any neglect or cruelty, but owners are uh, no longer able to look after them. We took uh, four elderly dogs um, in and uh, William and Jenny, about 13 years old, husband and wife, little dogs and their children, Ben and Daisy, And, you know, we found homes for Ben and Daisy fairly quickly. They were were a young age of about nine or ten. But Jenny and William, typical old married couple, totally inseparable. But she, you know, very much a fusspot. He was doddery with one eye and she was a bit arthritic. But um, followed him around, checking on him everywhere. And it was just lovely. It was just before lockdown. But in fact, it was a young couple, both working for the NHS, (coughs) came along and... um, saw William and Jenny who immediately went to, to them and it was a match made in heaven you know it's, it's beautiful when that happens and the sad but lovely result of that was that unfortunately the old chap who owned them died in hospital but um, we then had a beautiful letter from his parish thanking us with a lovely donation and just saying how you know how pleased he would have been to see his four little dogs sort of so happily looked after in the end and it's the, the benefit of that, I think, you know, gives me the, the sort of love for the job, as it were. It's the
0: thing that we often hear at this time of year about people having animals into the family uh, as as gifts, often for the children. I mean, how, mu- how much does that really carry on these days? Have people woken up to the fact that a, a dog is not just for Christmas?
4: Sadly not. Um, you know, a lot of it is, again, what the RSPCA do is education, and we really need to get this children educated on this school but it still happens you know sometimes unfortunately with situations like ours this year with lockdown people have been at home more so they thought oh well you know we're at home let's get a puppy let's get a kitten we've got the time and exactly the same as the Christmas principle they don't necessarily think ahead to what happens when we do go back to work when the puppy's no longer a puppy and but it's a young adult tearing around the house chewing everything and this happens with Christmas as well. Lovely idea for the children. But come the new year, life gets back to normal, back to school, back to work. The kittens, the puppies are growing up and causing mayhem. And, it, you know, it's it still does go on, unfortunately. We are very careful about rehoming just before Christmas. We actually very rarely do it. We take the animals off our website or we restrict rehoming, you know, for that month or so, purely for that reason. And if somebody really genuinely wants to home an animal, they will wait they'll decide again in January that, yes, we still want to do this.
0: You know already that our family is a bit crazy as far as animals are concerned. <laughs> we get a, a, a lot out of the companionship of our animals. But how, what do you think about the, the, the families that have an animal, perhaps are the the first time? What is this crazy thing that humans and animals have as this relationship?
4: Whatever an animal has been through, and I see them with traumatic pasts, they are so resilient. Animals are, are wonderful. They will learn to love and trust again. Um, from children, I believe it's so important for children to grow up with animals. It really does teach them how to care, how to love, how to trust and be trusted. But, um, you know, right through to the elderly and co- the companionship side. It's just, you know, they are such loving, devoted companions. And, you know, they just, we, we should live alongside them. They live alongside us and uh, you know, everybody should have one. There's an unfortunate side to the pet
0: business, isn't there? Of folks who uh, breed animals and, and uh, perhaps don't give them the best of care when uh, they treat them as commodities to be to be sold. What, tell, tell us about the the RSPCA's rehoming scheme and uh, if people want a pet to take care of. Uh, is it a good idea to to visit the RSPCA rather than maybe a, a commercial pet breeder?
4: Absolutely. I mean that. Um, recently in, in Gloucestershire, um, close to us, there was an incident of, um, the police fortunately were called, intercepting a van. They'd been loading up 40 puppies from uh, a house in a, in a fairly affluent area into the back of their van. <clears throat> and um, these puppies clearly, it turned out, had been bred and brought over from Ireland. They, sadly, some of them died. They had parvovirus. Had they been rehomed, had the police not intercepted them, these puppies would have gone into homes. And, you know, the the devastation that the owners would then have of losing these lovely pups, they should only ever come from a reputable breeder, if anybody's going to use a breeder, but preferably a rescue charity. There are so many unwanted or just animals in need of homes because they've lost their homes. And, yes, you say, you know, those who've had... um, tough times we've got uh, a female in at the moment she's 11 years old and she has been bred all her life you know that you can see you know from her condition she's been used for breeding continually until she was of no use to them anymore and she's ended up with us no so you know she but we will find a home we do find homes for all of our animals there's somebody out there for all of them so yeah very much go to the RSPCA website I can't sell it more than that (laughs) but you know all rescue animal rescue charities should be you know looked at as as well as us we um, we need homes for our animals we don't want them left in kennels and if they've had a hard start they really deserve more than ever to to have a forever home
0: So there you are, folks. If you are thinking of having a pet, um, wait till after Christmas and then th- think about it rationally. Uh, and and get
1: one from a sanctuary at the RSPCA or one of the many animal sanctuaries that are around.
0: Yeah, there are just so many animals just dying for a,
1: a, a, a good home. home. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, the Dogs Trust summed it up so beautifully when they said a dog is for life and not for Christmas, isn't that? didn't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. So correct. Right. Would you like to give us a joke, Bill?
0: OK. I'm feeling that my jokes haven't been quite intellectual enough over the last few days. So I've got one for you here. OK, then. What do English teachers call Santa's little helpers? I can't begin to imagine what English teachers
1: would call Santa's little helpers. Subordinate clauses. That is really very clever, isn't (laughs) it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's one of the better ones. Shall we mark this day down? Yeah. Special occasion.
0: Thank you. Okay, it's time to welcome again Reverend Simon Lewis, who has been uh, following the Nativity story every day for the last few days and will be right up until Christmas. So, this is Simon's personal take on the Christmas story, part five.
5: We continue with chapter one from Luke and the verses number 36. The angel continued. Remember your relative Elizabeth. It is said that she cannot have children, but she herself is now six months pregnant, even though she is very old. And the thought. Yes, someone else is having a miraculous episode in their life. So perhaps Mary isn't alone. Here's my take. The announcement to Mary seems to be a double announcement. She also discovered that Elizabeth was carrying a child. We're not told what their relationship to each other is. Some have suggested cousins. However, Mary had knowledge of her age and being childless. And now she's told, along with herself, Elizabeth is pregnant. Oh, how I'd love to tell you the full story of the couple Elizabeth and Zechariah. It comes at the beginning of Luke's Gospel. In fact, this is when we first meet the angel Gabriel. And I get the impression angels like being part of this narrative. Anyhow, Elizabeth was barren, and both she and Zechariah were getting on in years. I can certainly envisage the prayers they would be praying. It's important to know that in their time, The bearing of children was considered a great blessing, essential for carrying on the family name, perpetuating God's promise to the people of Israel and providing oneself with care in one's old age. Barrenness, on the other hand, was regarded as a tragedy, a disgrace and even a sign of God's punishment. I'm glad those days are gone. So no wonder Everyone is bowled over with the news that though Elizabeth was beyond the age of childbearing, she is going to have a baby. A barren woman can bear a child. A virgin can conceive. Here then are two events. Both sacred because of being connected with God. Both miraculous because of being beyond the experience of the natural world. Both ordinary, because giving birth is an ordinary act of human experience. Mary was not alone. She could trust God through the experience of another human being. God was not leaving her alone.
0: Thanks very much to Simon. And uh, time to go, folks. So shall we just go out with one last joke? Yes, I'm glad you said that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can sense my enthusiasm here. Uh,
0: OK, so um, how does uh, good King Wenceslas like his pizzas done?
1: I know this deep and crisp and even. Oh, (laughs) stole my thunder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh folks thanks very much and we'll see you tomorrow bye for now
1: bye, bye bye bye